Hey, God in heaven, thanks so much for a chance to uh, come now uh, to worship you. Uh, as Corey and the, and the rest of the team just saying, we, we need you. Uh, we are lost without you. Um, it's by your grace that we have anything in this life. And so uh, we, we submit to you today. We, we surrender to you in this, this, in this hour. And we just ask you, Lord, to, uh, to minister to our souls and to teach us from your word the things that we need to know so that we can uh, follow you better. Um, God, I want to be less like Mark and more like Jesus. Uh, so would you help me with that and would you help all of us with that, God? And, and would you help us help others with that? Uh, as we talk about that this morning, show us how we can be a part of your work in someone else's life uh, today. Uh, as always, get me out of the way. Speak in my place, I pray. And in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. New series, new year. We're going to spend the next three weeks talking about following me, not following me personally. It's what Jesus said to his disciples. We're going to read to those verses in a second. But we're going to talk about this concept we call discipleship, becoming and making disciples. Today we're going to talk about making disciples, but our hope is that we'll we'll make more disciples here at our church. I talked about it last week if you were here. Uh, My my heart, my prayer for our church this year and every year is that we'd have more and better disciples. Mo better. I want more and better disciples. There needs to be more people following Christ, and those people who follow Christ need to be doing it better than they did it before, right? That's, that's our heart, our hope as a church. And so uh, how do we do that? Well, we do it in lots of different environments. Well, it's happening, I pray, right now. I pray that as I preach to you every week and as you come and sing the songs, get prayer in our prayer rooms or in the corner, and as you serve in our ministries with other Christians and hang out in our foyers and, and, and talk to people who are Christians, that you are growing in your relationship with Jesus Christ as a result of us hanging out on the weekend, Right? I pray that our life groups are another discipleship environment for you, that as you uh, meet your friends, your family within our family, and, and they get to pour into your lives, be your encourager and be your, uh, your uh, accountability partners and, and, and help you in, uh, in, in the situations of your life when things go crazy and go wrong. Uh, my prayer is that those are discipleship uh, opportunities for us as well. I know they are. But what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks is something that happens sporadically in, in pockets in our church, but it's something we want to be more intentional with. We've actually uh, spent a long time developing uh, an actual app on your phone, so you'll be hearing about that in a few weeks. Uh, but we, we've really thrown a lot of apples or eggs. Or apples? What goes in the basket? Is eggs or apples? Eggs. Well, well, we'll throw them both in there. It'll be a delicious breakfast. Fruit salad and scrambled eggs. Uh, but we've, we've really kind of invested... Uh, our, our resources and time and our thinking on the pastoral level into how we can facilitate more what we call one-on-one or one-on-some or one-on-a-few type discipleship relationships. It's great to have a big crowd be discipled. It's great to have a smaller crowd be discipled. But I think that some of the best changes that happen in our life happen when it's one-on-one or one-on-a-few. Uh, I've been golfing for 25 years. You may want to Ask me what my scores are as, as compared to what they were 25 years ago. Almost no change. I've, uh, I've watched golf. I've looked on, online at videos. I've gone and practiced myself. Uh, did you know if you don't practice the right things, you keep doing the wrong things? I've just gotten really good at doing things wrong. So this past week, I actually uh, ponied up, got some Christmas money, and I, I paid someone to uh, analyze my golf swing. Set with a golf swing coach, and uh, I know uh, probably better things I could be doing with my time. But if I'm going to play this stupid game, I want to be better at it, right? 
And so she just looked at me. It was a, a lady at this club, and she just looked at my swing. She says, oh, this is what's wrong. And, and she pointed out things in a half an hour that I haven't seen in 25 years, right? Why? Personalized attention. That one-on-one uh, ability to say, hey, maybe not that, maybe this. I think back to my college years, and as a young Christian, uh, I met a guy named Mickey. Uh, he was a guy in my dorm, a uh, Christian guy who was a little bit older than me, and uh, Mickey just started pouring to me. Uh, I would uh, share meals with him. He, he had to cook his own meals because he couldn't eat what was in the cafeteria, and so he'd, uh, he'd, he'd, he'd cook for me, and I'd eat his food, and he'd tell me about Jesus and t- explain the Bible to me. And in and, and my early development as a, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I had guys like Mickey pouring into me. Maybe you uh, can remember people who've poured into you. Uh, we could go around here and I could uh, take a poll and say, have you been discipled one-on-one? And you could answer that empirically, yes or no. Uh, most of the church has not. Most of the church has never experienced that. And I would tell you that our church, Bay Life, could really use that kind of interaction, that kind of one-on-one attention as we seek to follow Christ uh, more fervently. So we're going to talk about that in the weeks to come. Uh, how we can better make disciples through these one-on-one or one-on-some relationships. Now, lots of people in here could benefit from someone discipling them, but in order for that to happen, there has to be a lot of people in our church who will say, yeah, I'll, I'll disciple someone. As, as, as someone who has uh, gotten to a certain stage in my Christian life and, and matured to a certain point, I, I know there's probably some things that if, if you gave me the right training, I could, I could actually help other people who are trying to figure the Jesus thing out uh, move forward in their faith. It's got to be both. And so... We're going to talk about you if you're someone who could use some discipline next week, but we're going to talk about those who would actually step into the gap for those who need discipling, the, the disciplers this week. We're going to talk about it in terms of the shoulda, coulda, woulda. Anybody ever use that phrase, shoulda, coulda, woulda? It's usually used in deference to something that you missed out on. Like I used to take my kids out, you know, uh, or give them the opportunity to go with me, like the Home Depot. Hey, I'm going to Home Depot. Anybody want to go? One would say, ah, oh, it'd be great. The other two would be like, no, I'm deep, blah, blah. So what I do to rub it into the kids who are like, you know, not, not going with me? The one who went with me got Cold Stone. That's how, we, that's how we worked out at my house, right? And I make sure that he waits until we get in the house to finish off the Cold Stone so that the other kids who didn't go with me were like, oh, and they would do the what? The shoulda, coulda, woulda. I should have gone. I would have got ice cream. I could have gone. It's not like I was doing anything. I'm in middle school, Right? I wish I would have gone. Sometimes we have that in in terms of regret. You know, we do something, oh, if I had a time machine, shoulda, coulda, woulda. Like my my daughter Kai, uh, yesterday she went back to school for her second semester of her freshman year. But uh, before she left, uh, she she got on the phone and she finally canceled the the, the magazine subscriptions that she got her mother for Christmas the year before. This is what Kai did. Uh, Kai knew it was Christmas coming up and she didn't really read the fine print. She thought she was just getting her mom three free uh, issues of three different magazines. She signed that little card that's in some of the magazines. You know, you can sign up. She put her, her debit card number on there and signed up and thought, well, you know, that's just what it takes for me to get this free present for my mom. I'm, I'm making out on the, uh, you know, on the good on this. She didn't realize that they were going to ding her debit uh, account, uh, you know, every time uh, it came up for renewal. And so she was just hemorrhaging money on magazine subscriptions. And finally, after being overdrawn this past uh, month, uh, her mom and her sat down and, uh, and canceled these subscriptions that, by the way, uh, we don't, I don't read them. I know you might read them some, Eleanor, but uh, they were a nice thought, but like 12 months of National Geographic? Come on. You know, who's got the time? So uh, 
<laughs> anyway, that's one of those things that she looks back on and says, oh, I should have done something different. I could have done something different. I wish I would have done something different. Well, let's talk about that in terms of discipleship and you perhaps being someone's disciples. Uh, the first question we want to ask here is, is, is should, should we be involved in the discipling of others? If you've been in church for a while, everybody could probably pretty much quickly say what? Yeah, absolutely. It's kind of who we are. In fact, when Jesus uh, was, was just beginning his, his ministry years, before the cross and his resurrection and before the Great Commission, which we're going to get to in a second, he, he kind of tipped his hand really early, and he, he went to some fishermen in a place called Capernaum, and, and uh, it was Peter and Andrew, and they were out, if, if you read this in Luke, they were out uh, all night fishing, and Jesus uh, asked if he can use their boat, and he tells them to go fishing in the middle of the day. Remember that story? And then they come back with this huge loads of fish, and this is what Jesus says to them. This is what it says in Mark. What Jesus said to them, hey, follow me. That'd be a great series title. That'd be a great series title. Follow me, and I will what? I will make you become what? Fishers of men. Now, we're, we're familiar with that. Well, what an interesting thing to say. I mean, certainly parlays into what would just, you know, happen. They've been fishers of fish. Well, I'm going to make you fishers of men. But Jesus didn't say, hey, follow me, and I'll teach you all that I know so that you can kind of just go off and, and have life and have this abundance of knowledge. No, he says, follow me, and I'll teach you all that I know so that you can go, in essence, teach it to everybody that you know so that you could go and pass this stuff on. You can forward the email, as it were. That was his mission from the beginning. He didn't go to the the government offices of Israel and run for, you know, president. He didn't, he didn't try to do it in some grand, you know, radio, uh, you know, blanket the country. T- he just said, hey, give me 12 guys, or in this case, a couple guys, and then he met a couple others, and, and I'll just build this group of guys, and I'll, I'll pour into them on an individual basis, on a daily basis, and then when I get ready to leave, which is what happens later in his life, he goes back to heaven. He says, I'm going to leave the mission to them. They're going to be fishers of men. Should we be fishers of men? Yeah. In fact, I would tell you that uh, all disciples by default, go to the, I know, skip the, ver- yeah, keep going. All disciples are by default makers of others' disciples. If you've ever thought a disciple is just kind of stopping at you and I just being followers of Jesus Christ, as long as I follow Jesus Christ, I'm a disciple, I got to push back on that a little bit. Got to help you understand that Jesus' definition of disciple is not just simply a follower, it is someone who follows and then helps other people follow too. Are you with me? We used to say around here before we changed our mission statement to be a little simpler, we used to say, now we say it's, we exist to surrender to God as he makes disciples through us here and around the world. And when I was just kind of scatter shooting, I'm a, I'm a creative, I'm a visionary type, so I have like 50 different vision statements you know, we could have used as a church. And one of them used to be, uh, we exist to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples who make disciples ad infinitum. Did everybody pick that up? That's our mission. When, I, when we talk about making disciples, we're not talking about making disciples who stop. We're not talking about making pawns. Everybody gets my point there? We're not talking about making these, these bodies of water, of living water that just kind of sit there and rot, stink up, which is what churches are unfortunately full of a lot. Uh, we, we, we exist to make disciples who are rivers, where God flows into them and then flows out to other people who become rivers that do this. Are you with me? I'm overplaying this hand, but let's keep going. All disciples are by default makers of other disciples. Now, should we be uh, disciple makers? Absolutely. Could we be disciple makers? Could we be involved in the discipling of others? This is a little tougher question for us to answer because some of you are like, no, I could not. I submit to you, Mark, that that's why we pay you. You go make the disciples. 
you know, I'm just barely hanging on by the skin of my teeth in this whole Christian thing anyway. I mean, I'm, I'm not suitable to put in front of someone else and tell them how to do this, right? You ever feel like you're kind of a rookie, blind leading the blind? You couldn't, certainly couldn't ask. Oh, okay, let me push back on that too. Do you know more than someone else in the Christian faith? I'll tell you, you do. Some of you have been Christians for a long time, and you're thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm, no pa- I'm not pastor material. I'll back off on the pastor thing. Are you, are you Christian material? Have you grown enough in your faith that you have some things to share? I would tell you yes. In fact, I, I would tell you this. <clears throat> Most of us in here uh, either do or can know enough to help others know enough. We either do right now or we can, with a little bit of training, with a little bit of encouragement, some formation, know enough to help others know enough. You know what happened to us at our house here uh, just this past week? My son, Cooper, uh, went to Home Depot, and he got himself a shelf. He comes home. He says, Dad, hey, are you going to help me with the shelf? And I was like, I don't know what you're talking about. He, he explained it to me. We had given him a couple bookshelves that used to be in uh, Eleanor's uh, uh, creative room, and he put them in his room. He was going to organize all, and has organized all of his belongings on these bookshelves very nicely. It's very neat, very, very well done. But he, he was one shelf short. So he went to, uh, took one of the shelves and took it to Home Depot, and he says, I need one more of these. He says, well, we got one, but it's like six or eight inches longer than what you need it for. So you just have to cut this down. And so he comes home, and that's what he meant when he said, are you going to help me with this shelf? It's like, what are we going to do? We've got to cut it down so it fits into this bookcase. All right. He says, I asked him, have you, have you gotten started? He says, yeah, I tried, but it didn't work. Uh, that's always fun. Because uh, he went out to our, our garage, and he took the shelf, and, and smartly took the, the, the right size shelf and laid it on the long shelf and drew himself a line. But then he took this, like, miter box saw, like an old miter box saw, like a hand saw, and he was cutting along the top of the surface, not like ripping the edge, right? And, and so I get out there with him, and I said, all right, buddy, step aside. We got power tools, right? And so I draw, and, and I, this is what I did with Coop, and, and I, I just said, here's how you do it. Draw the line, put up the sawhorses, set this shelf on there, and then you get this handy little battery-operated circular saw, right? And then you just follow the line. Easy peasy, zit, zit, zit. Ten seconds later, you got a shelf. I felt like Bob Vila up in there, man. I was like, <laughs> now you've heard me, you've heard me talk about my home improvement skills, which are nil, all right? People are sending me funny videos of people screwing up their home improvements now because I've talked about it so much. <clears throat> I'm not good at it. But guess what? I'm better than Coop. I know how to cut a board. He didn't. Now he does. Hey, guess what, disciple of Jesus Christ? You're further down the road than somebody out here. You need to quit having this, like, what I call poor spiritual self-image, thinking that because you're not, you know, the fourth member of the Trinity, you're, you're not anything. That's just not the case. Could you disciple? Yeah, absolutely. We, we all know enough, probably, or could know enough to help others know enough. Now, just so we can kind of form this before I move on to what's next. Discipleship is what we're about. When Jesus was about to leave, it's familiar uh, to many of us, it's in Matthew 28, uh, he gathers his disciples to him. He's about to ascend into heaven and go and prepare a place for us. Uh, we're in that era or that, that stage of existence now, Jesus awaiting his return. He came and he said to his, his disciples, uh, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, don't skip this verse when you, when you remember these verses. Uh, Jesus basically says, what I'm about to say to you 
is it. It is the stuff. It is everything that you should do because why? All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Whatever I'm about to say is the rule. It's the stuff. It's what you do. He says, verse 19, go and make disciples. Because all authority, therefore, because all authority has been given me, I want you to go and make disciples. Of how many of the nations? All of them, right? How do you do that? You baptize them. Sure, you get them wet, but baptizo is this Greek word that means identify them. Uh, connect them, as it were, uh, with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them, verse 20, to observe all that I've commanded you. Everything that I taught you, all the discipling that I did for you guys, all of the content of the Gospels, if you've read them. Those are the things I taught you. I want you to teach those things to other people and make them disciples like you are. And then he gives us the great guarantees. Anybody like great guarantees? Who's ever watched like an infomercial? And you were kind of on the fence until they said, listen, if you order now, we'll give you 30 days to try it out. And if you don't like it, you can send it back and we'll return the money, just not the shipping and handling, right? Anybody ever gotten the guarantee and you've been like, well, it's guaranteed. I bought the car because of the warranty. I'm not going to have to do anything for 100,000 miles. Guaranteed. Guarantees set us at ease. That's why Jesus ends this command with his guarantee. What's his guarantee? And behold, I am what? I'm with you. I got you, man. We're going to do this together. As you make disciples, I'm going to be making disciples through you. Just be available. Just be ready. Just be in a position to be used. I'll work through you. I'll be with you until the end of the age. Till either you end or I come back. We're going to make disciples, and I'm going to help you in the process. So the final question is this. We know we should. We can probably accept that we could. But now we have to ask ourselves, would we? Will we make ourselves available? You know, my prayer is for our church that everybody in here, no matter if you're just starting in the Christian faith or you've been doing it a long time, my prayer is that sometimes before Jesus comes or you die, you get to be in a one-on-one or a one-on-a-few relationship, discipleship relationship with some people in your life. That you get to pour out the things that God has poured into you to them. Now, it may not be right away. It may not be this first go-around as we talk about discipleship. But my prayer for you, for the sake of your relationship with Jesus Christ, is that you would have the opportunity to pour your faith, your experiences with Jesus into someone else and see them grow as a result. As someone who's, has the pleasure, who's had the pleasure of doing that, I can't tell you what that does for my faith. You'll get as much or more out of it than the person that you're doing it for, I guarantee it. But that's my hope for everybody in our church, that we all truly be disciple makers as God gives us grace and opportunity. Would you be involved uh, I, I think it's crucial for our mission. If we just let everybody else around us do the discipling, uh, if there's few, fewer disciplers, there's going to be fewer disciples. Are you with me? Like, like has, has anybody ever been to a restaurant uh, and it's just packed, it's lined up outside the door, everybody's got those blinky things that tell you your table's ready now, and, uh, and you look inside the restaurant though and there's this entire room of tables closed off. Has anybody ever been to that restaurant? Like, hey, we're all out here to eat, that seems to be empty, let us in there. You know why those tables are closed off? Because, I almost guarantee it, uh, a couple people who were supposed to show up for their shift that night didn't. A couple of the servers who would have been responsible for those tables being served weren't there. 
And so in order for this restaurant to capably serve the people that it's with, you, you can either stand in line waiting out here or you can sit at a table and wait in there because your food ain't coming. There's just not enough people to serve it. Are you with me? But it's frustrating for everybody who wants to eat, right? Don't you think it's probably frustrating for people who come to our church who would love to grow further in their relationship, who would love to be able to crack the Bible and, and understand what's going on there? I can't tell you how many times I've sat down with someone who I've started the discipleship process with and, and they were like me at my golf lesson. Oh, I didn't know I was doing that. I didn't know I didn't know that. There's so many young Christians who have just given the opportunity would just blossom under the influence of someone who could show them the way that they should go. But churches all, <laughs> almost always have sections closed. People waiting, not enough people to serve. Are you with me? I would love for us to be a church that uh, reverses that. That we'd have more people ready to disciple than we have people willing to be discipled. Uh, and we'll talk more about that as we go on in this series. I just want to finish my time. You're like, there's more? Oh, yeah. Just talking to you about the, the merits or, or, or the things that we need to do to be successful in discipling others. So let's put that up there. What, what must I know to succeed as a discipler of others? Now, this isn't going to be pervasive and exhaustive. I'm, I'm not even going to get into the, you know, the one, two, threes, the lists of things that you could do as you disciple someone. That, that's for another time and in another place, uh, another training. But what I want to do is I want to go uh, into a discipleship relationship that exists in your Bible. Did you know there's a bunch of them in there? This guy named Paul, uh, was, was, who wrote most of the back of your Bibles, he, he basically met a, a bunch of guys and he trained them himself. He discipled them himself. And then he would leave them in charge of these churches that he would go and plant so he could go and plant other churches along the Mediterranean Rim. One of the guys' name is Tim. Timothy, heard of him? Paul writes Tim a couple letters. You know, uh, we don't know a whole lot about Tim except that he was younger than most of the people that he pastored and he was chicken, all right? And so if you're feeling kind of like, oh, I don't know if I could do this, you have a lot in common with Timothy. Paul writes him twice because twice he needs propping up. He needs direction and, and theology to be, you know, given to him, and Paul does that in his letters. But twice, both letters, he just says, hey, man, keep going. You can do this as you seek to disciple others. Just like I discipled you, I know you can do what I've done with you. And so we're just going to kind of peek in on their conversation. It's a real letter from one guy to another guy who had a, a spiritual uh, discipleship relationship uh, with, with his friend Tim. And we're going to see his encouragements. These are my encouragements to us as we consider what discipling might mean in our lives personally. What must I know to succeed as a disciple of others? The first thing is this. God's grace is the power behind God's plan. It, whether it comes to discipleship or just your own personal direction in life, if you're going to fulfill God's plan it's going to be the, by the power of God's grace. You, you can't go out there and gut this thing out on your own. So if you're thinking about, oh, I could be a discipler, and I know these things, and I'll present my knowledge, and it'll be awesome. Uh, you, you may be helpful in some form or fashion, but unless God steers the ship, unless God empowers the discipling, uh, it, it's going to be diminished in its capacity to make an effect on a disciple. Look, look what he says there. He says, you then, my child. In, in your efforts as a discipler, uh, be strengthened by the grace that is in who? Christ Jesus. Fall back on his power. Fall back on his strength. Rely on him for what you lack. Verse 2. And then he, he, this is one of the best descriptions of discipleship in all of the scriptures. He says, then, 
And, and you, what you have heard, this is what he says, once you've gotten the grace thing in place, then what you have heard from me, everything that I discipled into you, all the things that I taught you in my time with you, Tim, I want you to, uh, in the, uh, the things that I taught you in the presence of many witnesses, I did it with lots of people, but you heard me. I want you to take those things that you heard from me and I want you to entrust them to who? Faithful men and women, all right? Who will be able to what? Teach others also. I want you to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples. Take what I gave you. Take what I've taught you. Take all of my investment and give it to someone else. Someone that you know will take that same body of truth and they will pass it on to someone else who will insist that that person passes it on to someone else. Do you know how the early church survived the first century? This. They didn't have big churches and radio ministries and, and, and online presences. Presences? Presence? I don't know. They, they survived going house from house, person to person, disciple to disciple, passing on the good news of Jesus Christ. It's how it's always worked. Paul says to Tim, hey man, what I did with you, what I taught you, teach other people who will teach other people. And remember that it's the grace of God that makes this happen. If we're going to be successful around here, discipling people one-on-one or one-on-some or a few, got to rely on the grace of God, and we got to take what we know, uh, learn more so we have more to give, but take those things that we know and pass them on to people who will pass them on to other people. God's grace is the power behind God's plan. We'll need to persist in the mission. This is every Sunday, isn't it? I get up here and I basically say, hey, hang in there. Keep going. Anybody notice that the Christian life can kind of be rough sometimes? I mean life in general, but the Christian life. So, some of us got into the Christian uh, thing thinking everything's going to be great after I accept Jesus. I mean the skies are going to, you know, uh, uh, the clouds are going to go away, the clouds will part, the skies will become clear, and my life's going to be a big dance. Christians, anybody? Yeah, stuff happens, right? Broken world? Broken stuff? Yeah. I mean the Christian life in general I always marvel at the people who think, you know, if I just become a Christian, I'll be rich and happy and all those things. I think that's a great potential of, of being a Christian. Don't get me wrong. I think you can be happy and, and eat. God can even bless you, you know, materially and all that stuff. But those certainly are not givens. Now, more often than not, uh, like Jesus says, uh, you know, they hated me, they're going to hate you. Uh, I suffered, in essence, you're going to suffer. Uh, yeah, that, that, that's kind of what we face in the Christ life. Now, the same will be, uh, you know, present if, if you're going to go out there and put it out there as a discipler. Uh, d- don't think for a minute that if you step up your game, that our adversary, who is interested in the church, just kind of be in the frozen chosen, right? Just kind of be in the, you know, hey, I, I, Satan doesn't mind churches. He loves churches, especially the dead ones. Because the dead churches convince everybody else around them who aren't Christians yet that the Christ thing doesn't matter. It doesn't, it doesn't change anything. If that's what a Christian is, I'm fine. But if, if, if Christians like you and me determine, you know what, we're not going to settle for just average it's, and status quo, and we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna break through our barriers and, and get to a point in our relationship with Jesus Christ that we want to uh, pour out what we have in Christ with, to other people, does anybody think that our adversary is going to start drawing targets? He's going to start saying, hey, man, you know, uh, uh, people are popping. You know, Reese is, Reese is getting serious. We've got to do something about Reese. 
and hardships are going to come. That's why Paul says here, hey man, lean into the grace, pass on what I've passed on to those who will pass it on, but get ready, hammer's coming. And like a good soldier, he says, look what it says in verse three, like a good soldier, suffer with me. Share with me in the suffering of Jesus Christ. He's gonna use three analogies here. He's gonna start with a soldier, he's gonna move to an athlete, and he's gonna end with a farmer. He uses two, uh, two uh, you know, different points here with soldiers, and, and I think it's so apt that you, he brings soldiers into this. Everybody back then, especially Tim, or including Tim, would know what soldiers went through for the sake of their job. I honor and esteem all of you who have chosen uh, to serve in our military, but I, and I recognize the kind of sacrifices that you have to make to do your jobs, deployments, uh, in, in cases where you actually have to defend our country. Uh, you put your lives on the line. It's a hard life, often thankless. Uh, Paul says, hey, man, persist in this. It's going to get hard, but stick it out. He goes on, and he basically says this to Tim. He says, focus on the prize. If we're going to be good disciples, we're going to need to focus on the prize. He goes on in his explanation of the soldier, and he says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. I went to Buckingham Palace that was probably 10, 15 years ago now, and one of my mission trips, we got to stop in London on the way back and spend a day there. And uh, has anybody seen the pictures or been there? You can act, there's guys guarding the palace in the red suits with the big, you know, kind of pencil eraser hats on their heads. And uh, uh, they're just standing out there, and it's very, you know, it's, it's awesome to see the changing of the guard. It's very, you know, if you ever get a chance to see it, it's, it's really cool. But then, uh, I don't think you could do it anymore because of the climate our world is in, but uh, back then you could actually go up to the guard station and get your picture taken with these guys, and people would do everything they could. You can't touch them, <laughs> but they would do everything that they could, because they got a gun. They would do everything that they could to get these guys to, to, to stop looking straight ahead. But if, you, if you've ever seen these guys, they just stand there, and, and maybe they'll shift their weight every once in a while so they don't pass out, but it is focus. And they don't see the civilian affairs going on around them. That's what they're paid to do. Stand guard of that palace. Now, it might, even, it might be just symbolic, but they are portraying the mission of the soldier. I'm not going to get bogged down with these tourists taking my picture. I'm here to make sure none of them get in to get the family, the royal family. And that's why they gave me the gun. <laughs> we need to see ourselves in that light. When it comes to our, our walk with Jesus Christ, we're soldiers. We got this mission that was given to us by the one who enlisted us, our Savior, Jesus Christ. And we can't, I, I think, listen, I don't know if there's going to be regret at end of life when we stand before God. Um, you remember, I don't know if you were here a lot, probably years ago now, but Tom did this uh, teaching on the Bama seat. Was anybody here for that? The Bama seat is this place where we get rewarded for our faith as Christians. And and I don't think there's going to be a lot of regret in heaven, but if there is, here's what it's going to look like. It's going to look like this. I spent all this time in my life, now that I'm in heaven, I spent all this time in my life dedicated to these silly hobbies or these sports teams or these, these things that I invested all my life in, and I, I sat in the same row as Jim all those years. We were friends. We went to life group. He never grew in his faith ever. And the time that the Holy Spirit prompted me to say to Jim, hey, can I help you understand what it is to follow Jesus Christ? I said no. And I missed out on an opportunity to see Jim rise in his face so that he could infect other people for their face. Now, I don't, I don't know that we're going to have sorrow. when we, I don't believe that's there, right? 
But has anybody seen Schindler's List, the end of Schindler's List? Oskar Schindler was this guy who saved Jews from Nazi Germany. He brought them into his factory, and he walked around. Uh, he, he became, you know, pretty rich in his process as, as he was, you know, making money off the backs of, of the slavery of these Jews. And he walked around at the end of the war as, as, as Hitler, you know, uh, you know commits suicide and, and Nazi Germany is conquered. And he walks around this factory and he starts picking up things. And he says to himself, this car, I could have bought six more lives with this car. He didn't pick up the actual car, but he, I don't know, the keys or something. Are you with me? And he walks around and he, he, he grabs another one of his possessions. He says, this was another two. And he's standing there. And, and even though he's one of the only ones in all of Nazi Germany who did anything to preserve the lives of Jews who would have otherwise gone to the chambers, was he excited and happy? No. He realized at the end of it all, he could have done more. Why didn't he? At the moment, it just didn't matter. His focus was on other things. Oh, I don't want us to be the Christians who when we get to the end of our lives look back and say, man, I wish I hadn't spent so much time in my boat. I wish I hadn't spent so much time in front of a screen. I wish I hadn't spent so much time doing all these other things that have absolutely no heavenly value. I wish I'd spent more time being used of God in the lives of others. For that to happen, we'll need to focus on the prize. Like Paul says in Philippians, remember he says, forgetting what's behind, I press on toward the price, toward the goal. He was focused. He made his difference. I pray that we could be focused and that God would use us to make a difference. We need to thirdly prepare, or maybe fourthly, we need to prepare to start and finish well. Prepare to start and finish well. Uh, I was always told when I was an athlete that uh, the beginning of the game and the end of the game are the most important parts. You've got to establish uh, your game plan in the first five minutes so that the rest of the game can kind of flow from that. And then obviously when it's go time at the end, those last five minutes, that's, that's when you determine who the victor is, the beginnings and the ends. The middle, the middle matters, but it's the beginning and the end that matters most. Paul goes uh, uh, with Timothy in, in this analogy. He goes to an athlete. He says in verse 5, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. I've read this verse uh, I don't know, for 20-something years. And I, I don't think I've ever fully understood it like I understand it now. Can I explain to you uh, how I understand it now? I used to think, you know, to, to, to compete according to the rules meant you, know, you have to follow the laws. You have to follow all the, all the rules that God has for you in the Scriptures so you don't nullify your testimony. Is that, could you read that in there? You know, if you're going to be a disciple, make sure you do what you're asking them to do. And that's, that's true. I'm not saying that's not true. <laughs> but I read a commentator this week that, that kind of took a different look at it. And I think this was Paul's intent, because when Paul says that you uh, uh, compete according to the rules, what he was talking about is is the rules that led up to you ever being able to compete at all. Here's what I mean. If you were going to be an Olympian back then, do you realize that every Olympian had to go through the the same 10-month training course? No matter what your events were, you had to submit to the same 10-month training course to even qualify to be a part of the Olympics. It's not like you were the best runner in your country and stuff like that like we have now. It was just in Greece, and if you wanted to compete in the Olympics, you had to agree to do this 10-month rigorous training course and on your you know, solemn oath, uh, tell them that that's what you did before you can enter the games. I think that's what Paul's saying. Hey, man, if you're going to compete, get yourself ready. Prepare well 
so that you can execute well. In fact, you can't even be a part of this thing, Paul is saying to Tim, unless you've put the work in ahead of time. We can't win the prize. We can't be crowned unless we prepare well. So we're, we're going to try to do that with this discipleship thing in lots of different ways uh, through this, the sermon series that we're doing. But I just want to let you know, we're going to actually have a, 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 a seminar-type class this coming Saturday. I realize you've got six days to react to this, and sorry for that, but the series is what it is, and we, we're telling you as quick as we can. That's Saturday, June, uh, January 16th at 9.30 a.m. right over here in our loft. Uh, you could come, and you could get kind of the, the primer, the beginnings of what it would take for you to be a, a discipler of somebody else. If you ever want to disciple your kids, come and find out how you can best and most effectively do that. If you've ever felt like God might use you in the, in the life of someone at your job or someone in your, in your life group, uh, and you just need to have some things that you can kind of hang your hat on, that's what this training is going to be for. So you can go on our website and go to baylife.org slash disciple, or you can go to the guest services after this, and that's my prayer. That's why I'm preaching this morning, so that some of you would go from these chairs before you head to your classes or before you head to your car, and you would take that next step, and you would invest your time to discover and figure out if this might be something that God might use you to do in his mission to make disciples here on earth, all right? Finally, we need to believe that the payoff is worth it. Uh, we do stuff because we think the payoff's worth it. Is that, is that true? Now, some of you are like, no, I do it because I have to. Okay, well, we'll take the have-tos out of here. If you have, like, just, you know, an investment of time, just, uh, you're, you, you could choose what you do this, you choose the thing that you think are going to be the most rewarding to your life. I'm going to have the most fun doing that. I'm going to get the greatest reward doing that. You know, I'm going to play Powerball because it's going to be $1.3 billion this Wednesday. Isn't that crazy? If you win, tithe. That's all I'm telling you. I probably shouldn't say that. Is that. Did I say that out loud? I'm not endorsing the lottery, but if you're one of those crazies that does it and you win. All right, anyway, here we go. <clears throat> he goes to the farmer. Let's finish with the farmer. He says this, it is the hardworking farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Anybody know about farmers? I, I grew up uh, in, in a farming community in northern Maine. My senior year of high school, I actually left my family. It's a long story, but they lived in Illinois. I moved back to where I was in high school in, in northern Maine so I could graduate there. And I lived at a farmer's house, Fred. Fred Thompson. Fred and Gail. Fred, uh, Fred was a farmer. And he farmed potatoes. And I, listen, I know there's hardworking people in all, all kinds of industries and stuff like that, but I've never seen a dude with more on his shoulders than Fred the farmer. Because if, if he doesn't get up and do it, it ain't going to get done. I mean, during harvest season, which was September to October, that's when they pulled the potatoes out of the ground, uh, I don't know if Fred slept. If he did, it wasn't long. He was always gone when I woke up. He was never home when I got to sleep. I mean, he just worked endlessly. And here, here's the crazy thing. Everybody understands that farming isn't a guaranteed industry, Right? You could do everything right, and all of a sudden the weather goes crazy, and the crops fail. That happened in Fred's life. He, he would put all that work in and, and still have nothing to show for it. Does that sound like the Christian life every once in a while? Seems like it's endless in its, in its requirement of us, right? And then, hey, I'm not going to guarantee that you get into a discipleship relationship with, you, with someone and, and the crops fail. I'm not going to guarantee that that won't happen, Right? Because sometimes that does happen. Just trust me, I've been a pastor for 25 years. 
Sometimes you pour your heart and soul into people who disappoint you. Uh, so you're like, wow, Mark, you're not doing a whole lot to sell me here. Well, let me, let me sell you on, on the last few minutes that I got. The times that it does work, the farmer gets to be the one who has the first share of the crops. I don't know if I can quantify for you the joy as, as a Christ follower, the joy that I feel when I see someone else have the lights come on and become someone who is making a difference in, 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 the, in the world for Christ uh, as a result of God using little old me. Our new youth pastor, Shane, I spent my, uh, uh, his senior year of high school with him like eight or nine months. And, and by the grace of God, I was a part of his story uh, as, as he kind of became who he is today. And I can't tell you, I walk in the kid's office, he's not a kid, he's a man, but, but I walk in his office all the time, and I just sit there and I look across the office at this guy, he was a snot-nosed senior in high school when I met him, you know, and just starting to figure the Jesus thing out and wanting to share his faith with other, his friends and stuff like that. I sat in the same office with him as he shared his faith with his buddy BJ. I mean, I remember those things. And now he's pastoring our students at our church. I, I, if I'm feeling down on a pick, I go, to, I go to Shane's office. It's my pickup. Because God used stupid Mark in Shane's life to get Shane to where he is. Are you with me? I can't tell you the joy that comes from pouring into someone and then seeing that someone go on to make a difference for Jesus Christ. I was, I was getting ready to share this uh, with the people last night, and uh, as I was writing, I wanted to tell this one story about my friend Andrew. Andrew, uh, I met at the back of our church in Dallas, Texas, as he was coming in like, like with 20 minutes left in the service, right? I, was, I, I don't know why I was going out. I think I was going to the bathroom or something like that, but here comes this guy, and it's a full house. There's nowhere to sit. He's just kind of looking around going like, wow. You know, and you could tell he, he had not been here before, right? So I said, hey, man, you knew? He's like, yeah. He says, well, here, let me get you a seat, and then you know, just hang out after, and I'd, I'd love to tell you about our church and stuff like that. And I went to the bathroom, came back, service broke, and listen, I don't have time to tell you the whole story, but Andrew's life was a mess. His living girlfriend had just dumped him after three or four years. Uh, he grew up you know, kind of Catholic, uh, but he was, he was either going to be suicidal or homicidal. He wasn't really sure which, right? And, uh, uh, and he had finally you know, just said, I can't take it anymore. He was driving past our church, saw the cars, and said, well, I'll give God a try. And, and literally drove his, his BMW M series uh, five, uh, into our church and, and sat down. 20 minutes left in the service because he had no idea when the services started, and, and he was there. 20 minutes into his first Christ uh, exposure, I meet him. And I said, Well, look, dude, uh, we got lots to talk about. Can you come back? He's like, Yeah, man. Oh, by the way, he had lost his job. I mean, every, he was a country music song, everything had gone wrong in his life. And so he, he comes into my office uh, that next day, Monday, and, and we start talking. And listen, it took a couple hours, but as we broke down Andrew's life, I said, man, you need a Savior. You need Jesus. And he looked me in the eye and he said, yeah, I do. And he put his faith in Jesus Christ. So, so uh, I wasn't going to leave Andrew by the side of the road. You can't leave kids by the side of the road. You know that, right? You want to, but you can't. And it's the same thing spiritually. You can't just abandon an infant. So, so the discipleship process started between me and Andrew. You know what the first thing I told Andrew was? Hey, Andrew, I want you to read the book of John. Okay? <laughs> I've told this story here before, but some of you haven't heard it. Andrew went to Barnes & Noble, and he asked the guy at Barnes & Noble, hey, I'm supposed to read the book of John. Do you know what it is? And the guy's like, he was a Christian. He was like, I don't know. He's like, well, it's, it's a Christian thing. He says, well, let's look it up. So they went to the Christian section, and he got a two-volume commentary set on the book of John, a Greek New Testament commentary sent on the book of John. 50-something bucks. 
And he's like, I'm supposed to read this, I guess. And so he starts reading the Greek and all the just involved seminary-level stuff and uh, comes back into church. And he, I wasn't there. He met one of our other pastors, a guy named Ken. He's like, yeah, Mark told me to read the book of John. And then he hauls it out of the Barnes & Noble bag. He's like, yeah, but this just seems so, I don't, I mean, he wants me to read this, but I don't get it. And then Ken takes his Bible off his desk. He's like, oh, sorry, buddy. He should have been more specific. This is the book of John. I can't tell you. I met with Andrew probably every week for three or four months. And I can't tell you the joy that came from that hour. I look forward to it every week. Because Andrew was this guy in a desert who found the spigot. And he just drank Jesus in. Every day was like his first day. Jesus did that for me? You're kidding. And I just, I just sucked off of his new faith in Christ. It just, uh, just boosted me. Still does. He became a leader in my, in, in my uh, youth ministry. Started passing on the things that I, you know, I would, I would walk by as he was talking to other kids. And I would hear the things that we had talked about in our discipleship relationship on that, you know, Tuesday morning with these kids on Wednesday night. It was unbelievably encouraging in my faith, right? It's not why I did it, but it's, it's a great result of it. <laughs> I was, I was uh, uh, preparing to talk about him last night, and I went and snooped on his Facebook page. You know, I, I never go on Facebook, but I was like, man, I wonder who's that. He, uh, nine years ago, he moved to Astra, uh, Alaska, Anchorage, Alaska. He's an ice road trucker, not on the show, but that's what he does. Eight months of the year, he drives trucks from mainland uh, U.S. up to uh, the, the ice roads of Alaska. That's what he does. And uh, so, I, you know, I was just looking at what he's doing, and uh, I just posted on his Facebook, hey, man. How you doing, blah, 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 blah. He calls me from Anchorage last night. Uh, he, he interrupted my, uh, you know, my preparation. That's why this is going long. Uh, because, uh, you know, we just had this great conversation. And, and 15, 20 years after his birth in Jesus Christ, I'm celebrating with him this phase of his life. And, and he's walking with the Lord. Can't tell you what that does for my faith. I would love to see everybody here experience that as well. To be the discipler, the one that God uses to dispense the truth that he's given us to them so that they can follow him. That's what the church is all about. I pray that's what you'll join me in doing. Would you be a discipler? I pray you will. Let's pray. Hey, God, thanks so much for the chance to talk about an exciting opportunity in our faith to make a difference in the lives of others. Prepare us for this, God. We know uh, it's gonna be hard. Uh, We're gonna need focus uh, we need to, you know, to get ready. If, if, we're, if you're going to use us to disciple someone else, you know, get us to that point where we're ready. But, Lord, I pray that as we interact with other people and we see them grow and we see them go on to pass uh, the good news of Jesus on to other people and, and, and we get to be a part of your grand plan of making disciples, that you would just use that to, to fire up our faith and, and to lead us, God, deeper into you personally as we help others do the same. Make us a disciple-making church on all levels, God, not just Sundays, not just life groups, but one-on-one, one-on-some. Lead us uh, so that we could disciple more and make better Christians for your name's sake. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. God, I got it fired up there. Sorry. God bless you as you go. Have a great morning. I'll be over in the corner if you want to say hi or pray.